You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, pardon the interruption, but just a quick message from me to let you know about the leadership survey we have just placed on the website. Here at The Great Coaches, we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, but we have gone back to the transcripts of the more than 200 great coaches we've interviewed to identify their key leadership traits. We've then created a survey of 20 questions to help you compare your leadership style to theirs. It's free, only takes a few minutes to complete, and should help you find areas of relative strength and weakness. If you'd like to know more, check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is rugby's Alana Thomas. Alana was the 88th player cap to play for the Australian women's rugby team, the Wallaroos, representing them between 2006 to 2010. She then transitioned into coaching, progressing through coaching club and state representative teams, winning the Victoria Premiership with the Melbourne Unicorns in 2017, an achievement that led her to winning the Rugby Australia Community Coach of the Year. In 2017, she was appointed coach of the Melbourne Rebels team in the newly formed national competition, the Super W, and she's still in that role today. In addition, she has coached Australia A-teams and in 2020 was also appointed as the assistant coach for the Fiji women's rugby team to help them prepare for the 2021 World Cup. Alana is a passionate coach who has a very clear view of the difference she wants to make in the lives of her players and the broader community. Her vision extends beyond the immediate season and in this wonderful interview, you will hear her talk about wanting to leave a legacy that is remembered for creating opportunities for others. 
She shares a great story about working to improve the culture of her team, the Melbourne Rebels, and how they came up with the words to describe it as, I want to be a rebel like her, which they turned into a successful marketing platform to build support for the club. And we discuss in depth her belief that it used to be that you had to perform to feel like you belonged in a team, whereas now you have to feel like you belong in order to perform. This was a wonderful conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as Paul and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Good morning, Alana Thomas, and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Good morning. How are you, Paul? I am very well this morning. I'm in Prague. It's very dark outside, but you are in Australia, and it looks very bright. Could you tell us what you've been up to so far today and where you are in the world? Well, I'm in Melbourne in Australia. We're just coming, hopefully coming out of a bit of a lockdown. It's afternoon here and in typical Melbourne fashion, we've had rain this morning today, we've had wind, we've had sun and we're in the sunny phase at the moment. So it's, it's not too bad. And yeah, today I've just been working from home, my day job of working with the Victoria Institute of Sport, doing some reporting. Before we begin, I have to ask, could you just tell everybody what I'm seeing over your right shoulder? So it's my 2006 playing jersey from the Rugby World Cup in Edmonton, Canada. I've got it framed up in our office and it's got a few photos of me playing, but it's in pride and it's been the, the great background for all the Zoom meetings I've had to do through this lockdown and COVID period. So it's yeah, nice to show it off occasionally. Absolutely wonderful. And congratulations for being the proud owner of an Australian jersey. It must be a wonderful thing to represent your country. Oh, it is. It's definitely, you know, as, as kids watching sport and Australia's a sporting nation, watching the heroes and playing sport and representing Australia and then to, to be able to have the opportunity. I'm really fortunate to have been able to put on an Australian jersey and represent the country, sing the national anthem. And even to this day, when I hear the national anthem on TV, radio or school assembly or anything like that, I just get goosebumps. It's just a really weird feeling, but one that I'm really immensely proud of. Well, talking about your heroes, actually, you've had firsthand experience with some wonderful coaches Dave Cleal, Steve Hansen, Mick Henderson, and of course, Dwayne Nesta. And this is just tip of the iceberg. But I'd like to ask you, what is it you think the great coaches do differently? The great coaches, they all have their own personalities and their personalities come through as they coach. So they're really authentic and being themselves. I think that's a really important part of coaching is we have lots of influences in our coaching careers as we go through is being able to take bits out of each sort of coach that you have and put them into your style. And I think the greatest coaches are able to adapt that style to the playing group they have. So whether they're coaching a club side, whether you're coaching the under nines at your club, or whether you're coaching a high performance team, you can adapt your style of coaching to the needs of the players. And I think that is what the great coaches do is they've got that ability to adjust their style to get the best out of the players they're coaching. Coaching has, in your words, helped you be more calm and have a bit more fun. Why do you think these elements are so important as a coach? Oh, I think those are really important things as a coach, like being calm on the field or on the sideline. You know, the players are out there. They're the ones doing all the hard work. And if they look on the sideline and you're stressed and you're sort of uptight, it sort of rubs off on them. And I think having fun, that's why we play sport. And it shouldn't change whether you're playing at Clubland or getting paid to play or play for your country. You play sport for the fun of it, and that's the fundamental thing that you get into the sport. And I think you've got to remember that when you're playing. If a coach is really calm in the dressing rooms or on the sideline, they can deliver messages really clear and the players can take that in and they've got really good clarity. 
Whereas if they're not calm and they're stressed, then they just it's just a lot of noise and the players just can't take it in. So I think it's really important. But the key thing for me is you've always got to have fun. You can't take yourself too seriously. You've got to have a laugh at training and enjoy what you're doing. And that's why some of the things we do on a field, like we'll have fun games at the beginning of the training session after our warm-up, or if we call it like vibe games, where we just play something that's got nothing to do with rugby. It's a bit of fun. We have a bit of a laugh. And then the girls can go out and we get into training and they can turn the switch on, which I think is really important for them to enjoy it. And then whether it's at the end of a session, having a coach's challenge of kicking a ball for the crossbar challenge or getting the coaches to get goal kicks and having the players get a bit of a laugh out of that as we either fail or succeed, I think it's really important. One of the interesting things about your story is that you were an inaugural head coach. So when the Melbourne Rebels entered the national competition in the Super W competition, you were there helping set up that team. And so I would really like to ask you, what were some of the first things you did when you were setting up a team from scratch? Yeah, it was definitely interesting when it was all announced at the back end of, I think, 2017 was there was going to be this new competition and no one really knew what it was going to look like. It would play week in, week out. It was a lot different to our normal nationals where you'd have an eight-week lead-in and you'd train for eight weeks and then go away and play for a weekend. So it was definitely trying to sort out a plan in terms of, well, what are we going to do? Like We've got this time from November through till we start playing in February. We need to train. What do we need to be successful and to give the players the best opportunity? So it was all about setting up gym access, where are we training, how many nights a week are we training, all those really basic things and planning and, and looking into that. But it was also going and finding the players because it had been so prohibitive or cost prohibitive for players in the past. They had to pay $1,000 to go and play rugby at a national level. So you didn't, weren't always getting the best players. You are getting the players that could afford to go. So the key for me was going around and seeing what players we have in rugby, but also looking outside of rugby, looking at other sports such as touch football, rugby league down here in Melbourne and just seeing what talent we had to set that up and get the best players to come into this environment as an elite high-performance environment and then offering them the fact that they had access to physios, doctors, S&C coaches. We had them in gyms doing gym programs. They didn't have to pay for gym to go to the gym. We would be there with them every step of the way and then helping them with their nutrition and setting up to make sure they understood nutrition and recovery and And then also about leadership and and sort of that mental side of the game because going from sort of state-based program into an elite environment, there is a big change because you're all of a sudden training four days, five days a week. You're playing games week in, week out and the highs and lows of that in itself of play a game, train, back up and get back up again. is It does take its toll physically but also mentally as well, particularly when you're not used to it. You've set this culture up. And it's clearly working because the team every season has got better. But we'll, we'll talk about the team's results in a minute. What I'd like to talk to you about is this wonderful idea, the rebel like her, which I know came out of this culture that you developed. I was actually showing it last night to my own daughters. It's a team motto. It's the centerpiece of your culture. It's such a strong idea. It's so consistent with the values I can see you trying to set up as a team. Could you tell us a little bit about how you set it up and how you're using it within the team? Yes, that was, it was all player-driven. This year, 2020, I was really keen to focus on the culture of the team. It had come out of all the surveys. Every year we did a survey about the program, the coaches, and, and what the players wanted. And it came back to 
better connection and relationships. And we had the first two years and we'd sort of tried to set up a culture, but it hadn't really stuck. So this year I really wanted to focus a lot of our time at the beginning in our camp around just culture. And one of our players was doing a lot of social media for us. She had just a knack of doing social media, doing videos and promoting our program. She had this name Rebel Like Her. And sort of she'd done a couple of videos prior to camp um, that she'd put out there. And then we were in camp and the players were going through our culture, talking about what does it mean to be a Melbourne Rebel? What do we want people to know us by? And, you know, you come out with a lot of the, the key buzzwords, your accountabilities, your competitive mindset, professionalism, all those sort of buzzwords. But as coaches, we sort of pushed a little bit harder on them. Well, what does that look like? What does it feel like? Like when you're playing, what does professional mindset mean? What does competitive mean? Like, how does that feel? And as we're going through it, we started to sort of pull it together. And then we're sitting there at the end of it and went, the rebel like her encapsulates all this. We want kids that are watching whether they're boys or girls to be going I want to be a rebel like Mel Carla I want to be a rebel like Georgia Cormick and they can really relate and connect with it and it just encapsulated all of our principles and behaviors we wanted and keeping things above the line and if we do everything right we'll get what we deserve and will people will be able to say well I want to be a rebel like her so it sort of just took off from there in that camp and everyone really bought into it and we now see it even afterwards. You hear girls, hear our players, sorry, talk about it and they just keep referring to it about the rebel like her. We want to promote that and it can connect with so many people, whether it be children, adults, other players and even other teams have said, like, how good is is the rebel like her campaign that you've been running? And it's like, it's all been player driven. And I think what that shows is how good when you set up a good culture, you have to have the players buy in. And this was driven by the players. All as coaches we did was facilitate and ask questions. And I had a leadership specialist who's got a master's in psychology helping me along the way. We were, I was talking to her about what I wanted and how I wanted to go about it. And we just facilitated it. And, and the players came up with all the words and, and the, the rebel like her just, just came out and they just went, yeah, it just fits perfectly. So Alana, it sounds... Like such a watershed moment for your team. You're gathered in this room and you come up with this motto, which is, you're right, so powerful, touches people even outside of rugby. And you said you used a leadership specialist to sort of help you and facilitate that session. If someone else was listening and they wanted to have a similar session with their team, what are some of the top tips you'd give them? The top tips I'd probably give them is what is it that they want to get out of the session? So if it's setting up culture, what is the key important bits that you see within your team and what your team needs. Because for me, that was all around, we needed to get better connection and relationships within our group and set up a culture that was going to be able to be used for a long time rather than just for this group. So this was setting up a culture for the longevity of the Super W team. So it's really being clear on what you want to get out of the session. And a lot of people, when you talk about culture, they come up with the respect, the commitment and all those really buzzwords, but you've got to bring it to life. And when the players ask those questions is make sure that you're saying, well, what does it feel like? What does it look like? How does it look like in our environment? So that you're actually getting them to think more deeply about it. It's not just a word on a, on a piece of paper or on a board. And where is your team at? Are they at that level? And do they understand that? And that's why I got the leadership specialist in because I sort of had in my head what I wanted to do and where I thought the team was at. 
but I needed some help to be able to pull that out of them. I haven't really answered that too well at the moment. Um, no, you have, you have. You talked about, <laughs> you've touched on this thing, what does it feel like? And we were lucky enough to interview Lisa Alexander and she in the Australian netball team had a motto called Sisters in Arms. And when she was describing it to us, she was saying that they went through a process of articulating what it feels like after they've won and they're on the sidelines. So I think there's something in there about taking a successful culture and trying to envisage what it feels like. And and interestingly, it's been two female coaches that have raised that with us. So I I think there's something in there, Alana, about tapping into feelings and trying to bottle it and name it. Yeah, I think that's the key for any team. You've got to be able to articulate it or see it in your environment and be able to replicate it in your environment. But also as a coaching staff, we have to be able to use that language at all times during training sessions, during games, during review sessions, so that it's a common language that is constantly being used and in front of the players. And the staff have to be able to live by that as well, I think is, is a key thing with setting up a culture. And that's why this year I think was so successful is because the players, they said it and we all bought into it. We all could see it, feel it. And it was every time, every session, every game, we had it front of mind and were able to use that language. Alana, when I was preparing for today, I found this wonderful quote from you actually, and I've already, I've already shared it with a couple of other people in a work setting, but I'd like to read it if I could. It used to be in men's that you had to perform to feel like you belonged, whereas now, and particularly with the women's team, and I think more so now going into sport in general, you have to feel like you belong to perform. And it's just, it's so true. And it really resonated with me when I read it. You put into words so well this change that's occurred and is occurring with leadership. But I'd like to ask you, how have you gone about building that sense of belonging as a coach? I love that quote for the simple fact that it's just so, so real. And particularly with women's sport, because we are, we've got that maternal and we're nurturing and we like to have that connection. And, we, and when we have meaning and when we have that connection and that relationship, you're willing to do whatever it takes for the person that you've got that connection with. And for me as a coach, it's about having real relationships with players and having real discussions. And I think it's really important as a coach, whether you're been in the team for a long time or whether you're walking into a new team is you have to get to know the player first, the person, the human, before you get to know the player. Because if you don't know the person, how do you know what makes them tick? And that's what I think is really important. And, I get emotional when I talk about a couple of my players. I've got a stay-at-home mom who's got her kids and and rugby's her thing. And she comes from a a Fijian family. Um, Her brother, her mum and dad came over to Australia so that the kids could have a great upbringing and, and access and opportunities. And her brother's played rugby, but she's been the one that's been able to go on and represent at a high level in rugby. But she does it because it's her thing. But it's also so she can show her boys and girls, her kids, that you can do whatever you want want to do. And it doesn't have to be restricted by who you are. So I think getting to know the players and understanding what motivates them and showing that you truly care about them then allows you to be able to ask them when you put them on the field to go that extra mile or to put themselves in harm's way for the betterment of the team. They're willing to do it because they know you care and they know that they belong to family they belong to a group of people that are willing to have each other's backs. And I think that's just so powerful, not just in sport, but in life when you're so committed and you have connection with people, it's a bond that you can't break and something that 
allows you to take things to another level, whether it be on the field or whether it be in business and making decisions around investing or trying something new, that connection and knowing that everyone's on the same page is just so powerful. Alana, could you tell us about the growth groups that you've set up within the team? So that probably goes back to a little bit of the relationship. So like I said before, we were trying to put together to build better relationships with the players. And we have a squad of about 30 to 35 players each year. And the relationship piece was a big part of the feedback we'd got for the first couple of years. So when I was planning with Nick Henderson um, about how can we address that? Like, how can I get around 35 players each week and check in and talk to them and, and connect with them authentically? He said, you're only one person. You work a full-time job. We're not in a professional environment. And he said, however, there's a couple of things that you could look at. And that's where the growth groups came from. So the, the men had sort of like a coffee club where they were in small groups and the academy boys were, were similar. And what it was, was you got a staff member and you put five to seven players with them. So the staff member would have a, a group of players and they were responsible for checking in and connecting and leading that group and, and sort of making sure that they were across everything and, and the like. And we sort of thought, yeah, that'll be a really good way for the staff to connect and we can then share as we learn things and get to know the players but it just morphed into something greater during the season. So everyone had a growth group and you had to come up with a name and you had to name your growth group. So my growth group was called Alana's Llamas. We had Matt's Motley's and I think one of the other ones was Peter Pan and his Merry Men. They got creative and, and really, again, owned their growth groups. And each group had their own WhatsApp chat and we'd check in. And it was also a way of supporting each other because when you got a group of 30 to 35 players, it can be intimidating, particularly for young girls to, to ask questions or just to sort of ask for help. So putting them in smaller groups just allowed you to break down a few barriers, allowed them to get to know each other as well. And they supported each other. If someone was at training and had been injured, they'd check in and they'd support each other. But also it was to make sure that everyone was on the same page in terms of our game plan, our training, so that it was allowed us to connect everyone together. And then we turned it into having some competitions with the girls. We had a competition night where everyone had to get dressed up in different things. So it was a different way of building relationships, bringing the team together, putting players with other players that they hadn't met. And it just was probably one of the best things that we did. Rebel Like Her and the culture was really good, but it fitted so well in with that. And even to this day, the WhatsApp groups are still going. They're still texting people within their groups checking in, seeing how they are and just having a joke with each other. So it's really something that's been a fantastic sort of thing that we just set up for checking in and, and having connection. But now it's morphed into something that I, you know, I'm looking for ways to, to take it to another level next year in terms of cultural experiences and games and our vibe games pre our games and training is how I can then make that into a bit of a competition to, to drive that competitive nature. But they all loved it. They all embraced it. My girls got for Christmas llama socks that we wore to training. We'd say, okay, this Saturday it's, we're wearing our llama socks. So, and go, look at how good is her socks? What about her socks? It was just something that just brought them really together and um, they had fun with it. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Professor Eric Knight the Executive Dean of the Macquarie Business School, and he's just stepped out of the classroom. So, Eric, 
what skills do you think leaders need to develop today to impact tomorrow? I think tomorrow is going to be digital. So the skills that we need in leaders is one, strategy, so that they can see the outside world and understand all the changes that are playing out. But two, a people skill, so they can work with people's inside world, motivate them to be able to see the issues that matter and find ways through so that we solve those problems together. Thanks, Eric. The master's programs at the Macquarie Business School, designed to empower you, challenge you and transform the way you think. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Anabotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Alana, you've been fortunate enough to attend two excellent development programs for coaches. There was the World Rugby High Performance Academy in South Africa in Stellenbosch, and the Australian Institute of Sport High Performance Coaching course. I'd like to ask, what lasting impression did these courses have on you as a coach? It was probably twofold for the the two courses because I went to South Africa in the middle of 2019 and I was in a room full of players that I'd played against in World Cup in 2006 and other players that had been playing rugby at a very high level. So for me, it helped me with my confidence because I was probably a coach that sort of doubted myself a little bit and didn't back myself. I sort of thought I had to to push myself and I probably was a bit hard on myself. So by being at that course and then following up with the AIS course, it sort of allowed me to have a bit more confidence in myself that I actually belonged and I was on the right track because having conversations and talking through coaching during those courses, a lot of the conversations, I was like, yeah, that's what I do. I actually do do this really well. So that, it gave me that confidence, but it also opened my world up to a network of other women in similar positions that had had similar sort of journeys and different challenges and successes and barriers that they've had to get through. So it allowed me to, to get some really good connections and network to be able to lean on when I had ideas or when I was sort of having a troubled time around how was I going to deal with something. I could really fall back on them and have a discussion and, and ask them for advice. And I think that's something that even to this day, the Stellen, we call us the Stellenbosch crew. We've still got our group chat. We've got, we still connect. Some of, a lot of us are on the World Rugby High Performance Academy that's just finishing up. And a lot of them are currently coaching and we're always watching each other's games and, and helping each other out or saying, hey, can you look at this video clip and give me some feedback? And then the AIS course is just, again, around connecting with women within Australia Again, that you can have as the sounding board, supportive. We're still connected through our WhatsApp group. It constantly goes off when there's times of games on or someone's had some success. We sort of share in that. 
So it's been really fantastic from that perspective. And it's something that I think guys do really well when they're coaches, they connect and network up and sort of put people forward. And how I came to meet you, Paul, today through another female coach putting my name up, you know, that network of helping us grow and succeed together. And I think that's something that that's the big thing I take away from it more is that connection and network that I can lean on and use and help promote women in sport, rugby. It's really important. And I think that's the big thing I've really taken away from it. What's the most rewarding part of being a coach for you? Oh, for me, it's seeing a player achieve something that they've been working so hard on. And you might see it on the field where they, whether you've been working on them to get a low chop tackle, get back to their feet and steal a ball and you see them do it on the field and you can just see the, the smile come up on their face that I just did that and having them come off the field and say, did you see this? That to me is what coaching's about. Seeing a player that's working so hard on something and having to be able to execute in a game and them knowing it and just seeing that confidence grow. And then you just know from then you can take them to a new level. You can challenge them. You can push them further because they know they can do the skill that you're asking them to do. So that's the big one for me is just, that pure enjoyment of them having an opportunity to play. And it doesn't matter whether it's, again, club footy or whether it's in the Super W. Every time you see a player achieve something they didn't think they could, whether it be in a skill, fitness, in the gym, it's what coaching's about is seeing other people succeed and believing and growing. I get emotional about it when you see a player do something for the first time or a player goes from playing Super W and makes their first national training squad and then getting capped, like that's the ultimate. But just seeing a player achieve something as little as a skill on the field and seeing the pure joy that I've been working so hard on that, that is what you coach for. Alana, just seeing you, I wish the audience could see you now, the energy and the, the <laughs> smile that you have on your face. But I wanted to ask you, to get a player to the point where they can execute a new skill or grow, they need feedback. And when you describe your relationship with the players, you seem so close to them and so intimate with them, all the WhatsApp groups and so forth. So how do you give feedback when you have this bond with players? Are there any particular routines or tips that you found more useful than others when it comes to that? I think I'm still trying to develop a way of doing it. I think there's so many ways you can give feedback. I think the key one that we sort of use is always having someone in the conversation with them we try and do it face to face I think when you're having a conversation or providing feedback whether it be good or bad is to do it face to face and be able to be able to see them face to face see their body language and see how they sort of take the feedback particularly selection feedback because the first thing around selection feedback as soon as they hear they're in they don't hear anything else once they hear they're out they don't hear anything else so having someone in there that can sort of then have that conversation with them and sort of fill in any blanks that they have is important but I'm big on trying to do it face to face and allow them to have questions but also allow them the time to go away and come back I think it's really important so doing feedback at the beginning of a session and then allowing time at the end of it for if they've got questions so they've had time to think about it it's time critical for us so we don't have too much time to do that The other way we've sort of set it up also this year was having a sort of feedback form that we gave to the players halfway through our season. So we looked at what their goals were, looked at what their strengths and weaknesses were, and then we just gave them feedback and gave them some goals for the second half of our pre-season. So giving them some written feedback. And then again, keep talking to them about that through our growth groups, through our, the coaches in the growth groups, talking to individual players and, and checking in and making sure that they were going okay. But yeah, I don't think there's any 
one way that's the best way. I think it's just, again, evolving it to the playing group you've got. Because you could have players that they just don't like the face-to-face. They feel really intimidated. So making that as relaxed as possible, having, you know, another player with them, having another coach or their growth group leader in there, or even just going and saying, hey, let's get away from the rugby field. Let's actually catch up and have lunch or have a coffee, the Melbourne way, have a coffee and, and have a chat is another way as well. So it's not as intimidating to think that, oh, I'm going to talk to the coach. Because as soon as you say, oh, I want to have a chat, the first thing is, oh, what have I done? Oh, no, I'm dropped. I've done something wrong. Particularly, I think, in females as well, we always think of the worst. We think of, oh, I've done something. Oh, I've missed out. So trying to keep the message that you give to them as well consistent. So no matter whether they're in or out when it comes to selection, let's have a chat so that no one sort of goes, well, hang on. She said, oh, hey, let's have a chat when I'm in, when I'm not in. So being consistent with how you sort of approach all chats, not just the in or the out chat that you have with players on selection is, is a key as well. And the other sort of thing I do with players around feedback is I actually ask them questions around how do they feel they're going, how are they enjoying training and things like that. So they can sort of have a bit of self-reflection before you have that chat. And hopefully if you're doing your job well and the questions are good, you'll pull out that information. So then you're just adding to it. You're not actually giving them a message that they, that they haven't, they're not expecting. And sometimes you can get into a conversation where you ask them the questions and their view on reality is a lot different to yours as a coach. And then that's a hard conversation to then go, okay, this we're going to have to spend a bit of time here to help them understand where they're actually at. So questioning is a good tool, I think, as well, when it comes to feedback is to seeing where they're self of them itself is and then where the coaching staff see them. Alana, you've coached both males and females and I'm interested to know how, if at all, you had to adjust your style. In terms of coaching males to females, the only thing that I'd say is you still want to coach the same because the skills and the, the technical and tactical are still very similar. I think it's the skill level that you have within the players. So like I said earlier, with the coaches being able to adapt to their players, with the women's game, we seem to have a lot of wide variety of skills. So we could have a complete novice, first time playing rugby through to an international player. So you've got to adapt your coaching that you can pull that inexperienced player up to a level that they're able to, we're able to train well with the experienced international player. And then we've also got to make sure that we keep challenging that international player to be better. So I think as a coach, you have to have a really good ability to adjust your style to get the best out of them. And I think the main difference from me as a coach is coaching the boys or the men is that they probably have a really solid foundation of skill because they've been playing since they were five years old. So you don't spend as much time on the skill level stuff. You can get more technical and tactical in how to play the game, which you may not be able to with the women to a, at, the, at the beginning. So I think the main thing that I see is just the skill level that you have to adapt your coaching to. But I wouldn't change my style. I think you change, you're still coaching the way you would coach. You've just got to adapt how and the skills and how you get the outcomes you want in terms of whether it's the, how you want to play. And you may have to take it a little slower with the women because we've got a gap. But I'm hoping that in the future when we've got girls playing from the age of five right through the pathway, that won't happen. It'll be the same for, for, for all genders. Alana, you know, preparing for today and learning about your story, the theme for me that comes through is this one around creation, creating a foundation for women's rugby for a new generation. 
creating pathways, creating leadership groups, creating change. And you're building a lot of it from the ground up, which is so exciting. But you had this great quote and you said, I keep saying to the girls, you're creating a future, you're setting the future. And I wanted to just sort of take a sidestep and ask, what can we do to get more women into coaching? What would be your advice or your thoughts on this topic? I think the thing to get more women involved in coaching is, is having pathways and having opportunities because I'm a big believer in if you get given opportunities and you put opportunities out there, then you're creating a pathway. It's a saying and another one that I sort of use a lot is if you can see it, you can be it. So the more that we can promote women in sport on free-to-air TV across whether it be club rugby, whether it be on TV internationals at sevens, the growth of rugby after the 2016 Olympics when the girls won gold, it was a quarter of the growth across Australian rugby and around the world it just exploded because people could see it and people wanted to be a part of it. They just loved what they saw. So for me to get coaches involved and even players to be involved is we have to create pathways and they have to be visible and we have to celebrate them when we have successes. We have to celebrate the people in them and and share their stories because the one big thing I believe is everyone's got a story and every story is unique and it's authentic. One part of the story may resonate with someone out there that's watching or, or listening and they go, oh, I can do that. That sounds like me. I, I've come from that background. I could actually do this. So being able to celebrate it, put it in front of people so that they can jump in that pathway and follow it and see that other people have done it. For me as a coach, if I have to break through ceilings, if I have to go through challenges and go around them, go over them, break through them, I'm happy to do it as long as when we get to, and when I'm long for this world, it's just normal. It's the norm. We've got girls playing sport. doesn't matter what sport it is. It doesn't have to be netball. It can be rugby. It can be rugby league. It can be any sport they want to play. But they can do it and they've got a choice and an opportunity to do it. And all it takes is an opportunity and then, and then chasing your dreams and working hard. So the more opportunities, the more pathways we can pr- produce that becomes the normal the better, I think, for getting more coaches and more women into it. Because there's a lot of women out there that go, whether it's their boys, whether it's their brothers, they go to rugby, they watch it, they grow up with it, but they just don't think they can. But seeing us a Rebels women's team running around, hopefully they think, oh, I can be a Rebel like her. I can play rugby. How good's this? Or if it's a mum or an aunt or someone that's going, oh, I can hold a tackle pad for my, for my nephew or my son or my brother. It doesn't matter that I'm a girl. So creating opportunities and and celebrating all those people within it and promoting it, I think, is the big thing. Alana, you were cap 88 for the Wallaroos, the Australian women's rugby team, and you've said that you want to get up to 988, which is where the men's team is (laughs) is at right now, and I think that's a wonderful goal. To create that future, to get us up to cap 988, what's the legacy that you want to leave as a coach? Oh, the legacy, it comes back to those opportunities and being able to provide opportunities that I always say, I'm just a kid from the country. I'm a kid from northern New South Wales, a little country town of Gleninus. It was probably like seven, 8,000 people. If I can get to where I am today, anyone can, because there's nothing special about me. I just grew up in a country town and, and loved it. But I got opportunities and I took them. So for me, I want to create pathways for players. I want to make sure that they have opportunities to achieve and 
that if they don't have an opportunity or a pathway, then let's go and create it. Let's make it happen. Because there's so many talented youngsters out there that are running around in sporting fields all over Australia that just need opportunities to show their talent to coaches. And whether it's a kid playing in the New England Rugby Union comp, running around and being a star there, to then giving them an opportunity to go and make a rep side. For me, that's what I think my legacy I want to leave is that we've created pathways that are genuine, they've got longevity, and they're going to be around for a long time. So being able to start creating, having those conversations and making sure that we get that set down so that a kid can at five pick up a rugby ball and go until they're 35 playing at whatever level they want. So my legacy is making sure I've created opportunities and that we've got pathways and that those pathways are sustainable. Alana Thomas, I think that is the perfect place to end. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful chatting with you and I look forward to following along the Rebel Loco Instagram account through my daughters and seeing your continued success next year. Thank you for your time today. No worries. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate your time. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here and you have been listening to our discussion with rugby coach Alana Thomas. Alana has a great passion for coaching and I think her energy comes through very strongly in this interview. The key highlights for me were her belief that great coaches set up a culture that will be used for the long term rather than just the immediate season and how she helped establish this culture as the inaugural coach for the Melbourne Rebels. The importance of knowing the athlete as a person first because if you don't know the person you won't know what motivates them and the idea of creating growth groups within the larger organisation so people can get together and discuss key team issues as well as supporting each other on a more personal level. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to the legendary American football coach, Bill Snyder. I believe, because I'd made the mistake earlier in my coaching career when I was in the high school level, I think it's important to be who you are. I think when you try to emulate someone else, which I did early in my career, when you, you know, just attempt to do it like somebody else does it, so to speak, Uh, doesn't mean that you can't use things that you've learned from others, but by the same token, you know, it's just important that you uh, express yourself as the individual that you uh, truly are. And just before we go, Coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.